Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC's Orthopedics Team, offering hip, knee, joint, spine, and back treatments. Learn more at upmc.com slash centralpaortho. When Pennsylvanians have an emergency, they call 911 and expect police, an ambulance, or firefighters to respond and respond quickly, like within minutes. Emergencies don't happen often, so each of our particular 911 calls are unique to us. At a time like that, the last thing on our minds is whether there are enough emergency responders. We just want help fast. But the reality is, in Pennsylvania, there are fewer emergency responders, and they're facing other challenges as well, like the cost of equipment and training. To discuss this issue on the Spark today is Donald Doremus, Legislative Chair for the Ambulance Association of Pennsylvania. Mr. Doremus, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Uh, hopefully, joining us a little bit later will be Jerry Ozog, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Fire and Emergency Services Institute. Mr. Ozog is out on an emergency call. So, and, and you know, let's face it, that's where the priority is right now, especially with the issue that we're talking about today. So, Don, the word crisis is sometimes overused, but is this a crisis situation right now? Yeah, we hate to use the word crisis, but it truly is a crisis in Pennsylvania. Uh, fire and EMS are facing tremendous shortages. Volunteers more on the fire side, but career staff and volunteers on the EMS side. So how would you describe it right now? I mean, you touched on it just a little bit, but talk about those things if you would. I don't know of an EMS agency right now in the Commonwealth that is fully staffed, where they have their full complement of staff. And it's actually creating an issue where there's less ambulances on the street presently in the Commonwealth. Mm. Compared to what? I mean, if you could look to the past, what would you say as as far as compared to, to the past? If you want to go back to the glory days of EMS in the mid-80s to early 90s, there were probably 1,800 to 2,000 ambulance companies in the state of Pennsylvania. Right now, we're down to about 1,000. I mean, with those kind of numbers, it would seem to say that uh, obviously there would be response times that uh, have increased, maybe even lives in danger. It, it was originally a more of a rural issue where there's essentially ambulance deserts in rural Pennsylvania. Um, they they rely solely on volunteer services up there because you cannot actually run an ambulance service there on a financial basis because of the lack of calls and the costs associated with that. That has now become an urban issue also with the lack of staff. Um, it's not uncommon for an ambulance service to take a call two counties away. And we're unique in our industry where we actually have to respond if we're dispatched by a 911 center. So if we get a call, we don't have a choice of not to respond to it out of our area. Uh, it's, it's the way the law is written. So I'll uh, go back to that question. Are there lives in danger because of this? Yes, we're, it's increased response times, uh, decreased resources, 
you never know when you're going to get an ambulance or your wait times are going to be increased. We're joined now by Jerry Ozog, who is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Fire and Emergency Services Institute. Mr. Ozog was out on a call. What was the call? Uh, something very minor, not, not, not a lot of issues that we needed to take care of. It, what, what happens across the, the Commonwealth every, uh, every day, hundreds of times a day, helping the citizens whenever there is an issue. Fire departments respond to everything from a, a traditional fire, okay, a house fire or a bedroom fire. But fire departments also respond to when your basement is filling up with water or when there's a broken, uh, broken pipe or when there's a wire down burning in the street, uh, not to mention all the transportation incidents. So we are an all hazard agency um, that goes to many different calls across the Commonwealth every day. I noticed you didn't mention the uh, cliche cat in the tree. Uh, I did not mention <laughs> that. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, in South Central Pennsylvania, around our area, we go on ducks in the storm drain on a regular basis too. So that's that happens. Okay, on a that basis. that is not as big as the as the cat in the tree. But now we have to we learn something else a little bit more. Uh, but uh, Jerry, I'm going to ask you uh, one of the same questions that I asked Don Doremus a little bit earlier uh, about the word crisis and whether we are in a crisis situation in Pennsylvania from the fire perspective. Are we? Well, it, it is definitely uh, creating stress in our system because of our aging populations, our, our declining number of people that want to volunteer, and the not declining number of people that want to even become a firefighter yeah. because, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Scott, this is the dangerous job, okay? This, this is, you know, this is a physical blue-collar profession that requires the people that come into it uh, to do physical activity, uh, to to go into someone's uh, home if they're having a medical emergency and, and see very difficult things. Now, we have many dedicated people in Pennsylvania that do it, but I can tell you across Pennsylvania, uh, there are areas that are under stress where there's one person showing up on a fire truck for an emergency, and then they have to call five or six different fire companies for, for a minor, or not a minor, for, for a regular incident to get you know, a handful of people. But for a house fire, you're going to need 15 to 20 people. Uh, that's what you need when a house is burning. When, when there's a strip mall burning or a manufacturing facility, you need 30 firefighters. So it, it is definitely uh, a crisis in Pennsylvania and other states in certain areas. So why would someone volunteer? I mean, what you just described with it being a physical job, that it is a dangerous job. Now, you know, I'll, I, I, when I asked the question, why would someone volunteer? What does it take? And what's changed from, say, 20 years ago? Don called it uh, the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, the kind of the, the golden uh, period of, of, of emergency personnel. What's changed, Jerry? So, so uh, and I agree with uh, why, why people do this is, number one, for the personal satisfaction of making a difference. There's many people that show up in their job every day in their work life. And, you know, maybe it's a great job and, you know, they make a lot of money, but they don't see the results of their work. And, and maybe they're, you know, they just don't know it's about them. But I can tell you from, from being part of the volunteer fire service, from working with career firefighters, with working with EMTs and paramedics, 
you it is an honorable profession where you really make a difference in the positivity on helping people okay the second reason people get into this is the camaraderie okay the teamwork aspect of it okay and, and again what has changed since the golden days of the 1980s in pennsylvania is you know Many of the organizations, fire organizations, were family family organizations where the grandfather was involved, the father, the son, the mother, everybody was involved in it. And, and nowadays, society has become very busy. You know, you, you know, you need two people working in a household to have a family sustaining living. Uh, the the amount of training and um, the amount of effort to be prepared for an emergency has increased for reasons, okay? The training has started, the training increased because of specific reasons. You know, who would have known that firefighters in Pennsylvania are trained to a concept called rescue task force, okay? And the reason why the concept is a rescue task force, it works with EMTs, paramedics, and police officers because of the, act, the whole active shooter threat. And we're training firefighters to do that. In the 80s, we never had to worry about that. Okay, that was not a big deal. Okay, so mm. that's a lot of it. Yeah, there is a personnel shortage. What about some of those other challenges involving cost, lack of money? Our biggest issue is our business model doesn't work anymore for the agencies that fund themselves that aren't supported by municipal tax dollars where every time we take a 911 call, we can bill for that call through insurance, but all the insurance reimbursers, including the federal government and the state government, pay less than the cost of what it costs us to provide the service. So if it costs us $550 to put the ambulance out in the street just to take a call, we're getting about three to 350 in reimbursement back. So we're losing $200 every time the call, the ambulance rolls out on a 911 call. That 550 you mentioned, is that an accurate figure? Is that what it, about what it costs to put an ambulance out in the road? That's pretty consistent across the state. Um, you know, that's your cost of your administration, your fuel, your overhead, your personnel, your benefits, your, your building, all those things, the vehicle. Just in the last year or so, the cost of fuel has risen. What, would, what does that mean? Just something like that. What does that mean to an ambulance? The cost of fuel and just the fact of like personal benefits like health insurance have been astronomically increased over the last two, three years. It, it takes even worse uh, cut out of our, our financial status. I remember we, we spoke a few years ago, and one of the things that uh, came up that I think was a surprise to some people is that uh, if you go out on a call and you don't transport someone to a hospital that you're not reimbursed by the insurance company? Is that still the case? We actually got a law passed several years ago that allows for the payment of that now. The problem was there's no regulatory backside to that. So the insurers are paying what they want to pay. They're not paying a base rate payment. So you can get you can get a payment for that now, but it's anywhere from $100 to maybe $200. There, there's no definitive number set to that payment rate. So that 550 whether you transport a patient or not, it's still 550 it, It's costing an ambulance crew. Correct. It's 550 if you go out on a fire standby, if you go out on a, a public assist where you're picking somebody off the floor that doesn't need to be 
need medical attention or any other call where you actually physically don't transport a person. You know, we just had a story this morning on NPR about how fentanyl and overdoses and fentanyl is having a great impact in this country and uh, what the federal government can or can't do working with Mexico. Now, I'm I'm not going to talk about the international implications, but I'm just wondering, are you as, uh, you know, an ambulance association or ambulances, emergency responders, are they being called out more often on fentanyl or drug overdoses today? We saw this maybe four or five years ago with heroin um, and the opiate opiate problem in general. So the overdose problem has been around for four or five years. It's changed over to fentanyl because of the cost of fentanyl is cheaper. And it's actually an exposure issue for EMS, police, and fire. Uh, I mean, you can come in contact with this and have some serious effects for the personnel that are responding. Plus, when you revive these people, sometimes they become a little agitated and you have another issue on your hands then. You anticipated my next question because I was going to ask about uh, the exposure issue. Something else that would have to uh, be, uh, I assume, that uh, would emergency responders have to be trained in. So, Jerry Ozark, let me come back to you. Let's talk about cost with fire. Uh, you know, I, I saw a story, well, last week there was a press conference, and I saw that someone was quoted as saying, uh, you know, a fire truck that you know, maybe 10 years ago cost $500,000, maybe it was 20 years ago, that now cost over a million dollars. I mean, that's incredible. What kind of money problems are fire departments having across the state? So what what I'm going to predict, uh, Scott, is there's going to be fire departments in Pennsylvania that will never be able to buy a brand new piece of apparatus anymore, okay? Those units last about 20 years. The fire units last about 20 years. And the basic cost of a, a pumper is, is approaching a million. A ladder truck, specifically uh, specifically a ladder truck, is um, the, the cost of a ladder truck, I saw one, is $1.9 million. Okay. So the three big, you know, fire departments are funded in, in four different ways. Number one, it's through donations. Many are nonprofits. Okay. Number two, um, it's uh, fundraising. They still do a lot of fundraising in certain areas. Number three is government funding uh, through a local tax or, or a government grant. And some fire departments, number four, have uh, auxiliary businesses. There's fire departments that operate clubs in Pennsylvania, campgrounds, and things like that. And it's it's been a challenge. Now, a lot of them have, have you know, during COVID, I believe, when we talked before, a lot of the departments were, were struggling a little bit with their fundraising. And I've seen many of them getting better and better. But here's an example of what, what happened. when The concept of regionalization in Pennsylvania, well, there was a department in one of the counties, they merged three fire departments, okay? And they were able to save $40,000 on their insurance. However, the cost of diesel fuel uh, over the last two years has pretty much eliminated that cost savings uh, that they received through the merger. So that, that is an example, a, a real life example of what's going on. We have about uh, five and a half minutes left in the program, and I want to get some suggestions from both of you on how we solve this problem. Jerry, let me start with you. I mean, we're talking about two different things, broad issues, recruiting, getting more volunteers, but we're also talking about money. 
Let's start with recruiting and then going on to, to, to money. What are the, some of the solutions here? One, one of the solutions for recruiting is getting people around the table and committing to a professional recruiting campaign in your community and getting what I mean by at the table is your, your elected officials, your, your key municipal, uh, your key uh, community leaders, get them around the table. And the organization has to develop a marketing plan and sell themselves. And, and, and the reason why it doesn't happen on a regular basis is because everybody's out running calls. It's a very, it's, it, they're busy to do. They're committing to a recruitment program. The funding, again, what I believe in is getting around the table with your elected officials, tell your story. And organizations, unfortunately, they have to be brutally honest, okay? And, and we have a proud service in Pennsylvania. We have proud communities. And, and, and that's good. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that has cost, cost us some issues because people don't want to be transparent. Get people together, get around the table, talk. And there are solutions. There's many models through regionalization, through collaboration, through working together. Just saw, just as as I mentioned, in Lancaster County, just uh, within the past week or so, there was news of uh, eight different organizations coming together, uh, corroborating on uh, emergency services. So, Don, let me ask you about uh, ambulance associations, because for the most part, we're not talking about, well, I shouldn't say for the most part, we are talking about some volunteers, but we're talking about uh, some professionals as well, uh, paid uh, emergency responders, EMS. Recruiting, and then what about the cost? What about the money issue? So we have nationally and in the Commonwealth thirty percent turnover rate on EMS personnel annually. Um, that's based on lack of wages and also work-life balance. So, because of our poor reimbursement and our poor funding, we can't pay a livable wage. So people work multiple jobs. So their work-life balance is all messed up and we have people leaving the field. Um, we also have people that come into the field for experience in the emergency setting as they transition on to a higher degree level of uh, healthcare provider, either a physician assistant or a nurse or a physician. But it, it all relates to funding for EMS. We, we used to be able to fund ourselves through insurance reimbursements and uh, economies of scale. We can't do that anymore because the insurance reimbursement is far less than what it costs us to provide a service. You know, what you said earlier, I think, really cuts to the heart of it when you said our business model is broken. Sounds like the business model hasn't changed for a long time. It hasn't. And we public safety folks are great at doing little, a lot big things with little bit of things. Um, we've been able to band-aid things together for 20 years. And, and now it's time that the municipalities and counties and the states step up to the table and fund. We're public safety. We're an essential service as firemen, as police. Uh, we need to be funded the same way police and fire are. You know, we haven't even talked about police, but uh, at that hearing last week that I mentioned, uh, state police that were talking about uh, the challenges in recruiting new uh, new state troopers as well. You know, one of the things that you have to be concerned with is that it will take one or two, maybe even more, just huge events before finally people pay attention. Jerry, East Palestine, Ohio, <laughs> right on the Pennsylvania border, an event like that, I just can't imagine with what the two of you are describing, 
how people, how emergency responders could get there in time, hazmat, I mean, hazmat materials, everything else. I mean, there's just, that's the kind of event that you really worry about not having the kind of people and expertise that you need. We only have about a minute left. Absolutely. Those those events uh, are, are, are uh, very complex and require a certain skill set. And I do want to say that there are times, even in normal day-to-day operations in certain areas of Pennsylvania, where due to the lack of resources, EMS resources, that it takes a while for an ambulance to get on scene. Mm. That's the crisis point right there. And I can, I don't want to name them on the radio where they are right now, but there's times when you have to wait 42 to 45 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. And that that is a challenge. And then you throw a big, a big dramatic incident like a derailment on there. It's it's a, it's going to be uh, very difficult. Don Remus is legislative chair for the Ambulance Association of Pennsylvania. Jerry Ozog, executive director of the Pennsylvania Fire and Emergency Services Institute. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you.